Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Nor the Merrier podcast. We are your hosts, Annie and Jesse. Nor. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here. Today, we are just going to kind of dive into the basics of the Enneagram. We have mentioned the Enneagram on some of our episodes before, and some of our listeners have asked questions about what exactly the Enneagram is. Even though it's a very helpful tool for us, I know that not everybody knows about it. So um, if you don't know a lot about the Enneagram, or maybe you do, but you kind of want to dive in deeper, or you want to learn a little bit about the other types, or even the history of the Enneagram, this episode is for you. But before we get into that, Jesse, what's on your mind? So a YouTube video that I watched this week enlightened me that Jackie Robinson was a ridiculous athlete, and he doesn't get enough credit for how great of a baseball player and just overall athlete he was. You know, obviously he integrated baseball and was the first African-American to play in the modern era of Major League Baseball. You know, that's pretty special and amazing, but like, I feel like his the, the guy's point was that we forget about his other achievements. Mm-hmm. And during college, he was a four-sport athlete at UCLA, wow. which is just crazy to think about like I can't even play one sport some people play two these days but like to play all four sports in basketball he led the conference which is now the Pac-12 in scoring and won player of the MVP for his conference that year um in track he was a champion long jumper national champion long jumper in track for UCLA and was going to make the Olympic team for the year that the Olympics got canceled because of World War II. His older brother was a track star and actually was a silver medalist in the Olympics behind Jesse Owens, who's one of the greatest track athletes of all time. Um, In football, he played for an undefeated UCLA team as uh, in the backfield. And one of his teammates at UCLA was part of the group of first people who integrated the NFL. And then baseball. Baseball was his worst sport out of the four, which is crazy. Cause, yeah, you that's know, what he's known for. That's what he's known for. But when he played baseball at UCLA, he batted 097 in his only baseball season at UCLA. So for people who aren't familiar with baseball stats, 097 is good? That's like one, maybe two hits the entire season. Oh, oh, it's bad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he probably had one or two hits all season. Mm. And... You know, afterwards, he ended up taking time off. And, like, he didn't play baseball for a while, like, until he got into the major leagues. That's a whole other story. But, yeah, baseball was probably his worst sport. Mm. It was just crazy because he's one of the greatest baseball players of all time. So when you're saying 097, you mean point zero yeah. nine seven? So okay. Like, but, like, when people say they're batting 100, they're batting one point something. Like, that's, like, you know, amazing. Usually, if you say you're batting 100, that's because you're one for one. Like and it's actually 1,000. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. But yeah. But like, like an, I feel like, it, for like for an example, when we were at a baseball game, uh, Tony Walters, who's mm-hmm. a catcher, like his batting average literally went down during the game from like 0.3 to 0.2. No, it was like something. 0.208, and then it was 0.204, then like point. Nine seven one nine seven <laughs> something. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. so most most major league. Well, obviously the major leagues are different nowadays than when Jackie Robinson was playing baseball. But um, an average statistic is like in 
it's like, I don't know, 0.56. Is that? That's insane. That's insane. Oh, wow. Okay. So for the longest time, the major league, the average major league average was about 0.25 or so. Mm -hmm. It's gone down the past few years. Oh, but yeah. interesting. Yeah. I don't know anything about baseball statistics. So on average, that's one out of four. Okay. So you're getting one hit every four at-bats is but, about average. But Jackie was less than that. I don't know. I'm not a math pod, but uh, <laughs> 0.097 is like one out of 30. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't, sure, you, that sounds right to me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a math, math person. Um. But that's not to discredit Jackie Robinson as a baseball player. He still was. I mean, he only played baseball at one year at okay. UCLA. So basically, he didn't just didn't give it enough time. Like mm. he was capable of learning how to play baseball once he got the time to learn. Right, right. But yeah, he was a ridiculous athlete. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Fun fact: uh, my childhood dog was named after Jackie Robinson. Um, because Jackie Robinson was the first black baseball player in the major leagues. Modern era major leagues. In modern era major leagues. Yeah. And so um, when I was very little, my whole family has been involved in baseball in forever. So we were at one of my brother's baseball games. And somebody apparently, I was too young to remember this, but somebody apparently came around with a litter of puppies. They were little black lab puppies. And they said that if no one takes the puppies, they're going to have to put them down. I don't remember why that circumstance was there, but we, of course, took a puppy, and because we got her at the baseball field, we named her Jackie after Jackie Robinson. So, Jackie was a great dog. I love her. But Jackie Robinson sounds like a very amazing man. A true renaissance man, one might say. He reminds, like, all those things you're listening makes me think of him as, like, a traditional Greek Olympian who's, like, competing in all of these different... Decathlon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's really cool. Awesome. On to the main topic, or, or do you have something? Um, the only thing on my mind uh, today is that being lactose intolerant is really unfortunate. Like, it's kind of a bummer. Um, I Especially if you have not been lactose intolerant your entire life, and it's a recent development, as it is with me. It's just, uh... It's just a bummer. That's all. You know. It could be a lot worse. It, that's true. Yeah. No. I, when it comes to food sensitivities slash allergies, I'm very fortunate in that I have no allergies. I'm really not sensitive to anything, but I have recently developed a pretty severe lactose intolerance, uh, if I'm being totally honest. And as someone who truly loves dairy, it's, it's a problem. I feel like the people who are lactose intolerant are the ones who love dairy. It's yeah. just, like, always ironic. Yeah. And they do it anyways. It's just, like, at least for me, it's like, yeah. I'll pay for it later, but, you know. <laughs> Some people can't afford that, though. Yeah. So, yeah. Their bodies, it will just wreak havoc. So, mm -hmm. don't do that. Take care of yourself. You matter more than dairy. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. So, on to the main topic. Um, the Enneagram. Do you want to start us off with yes. some of the research you've done? I will start off by talking about the history. And I feel like this is something that not even people who are familiar with like the numbers and types and stuff are, are too familiar with the history. Um, now, I got a lot of this information, well, all the information from the Enneagram Institute. No way, me too. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I think they did mention that there are some people who have other theories or opinions i don't know so there might be other i think most enneagram thinkers 
kind of agree on the base I'm, the baseline and I'm then they talking kind about of, like the history though oh the history like who was the original inventor i don't know if that's mm -hmm. not like i think this is the most widely accepted but there may be other opinions i guess just disclaimer so this is the narrative as portrayed by the enneagram institute yeah .com. and i didn't feel like is it dot com dot org i don't know i don't know i didn't feel like looking into the other that's, possible options that's fair you know what you got anyways the person that they credit for inventing the enneagram is oscar ichazo I-C-H-A-Z-O. And he was born in Bolivia. And he lived in Peru, Argentina, and Chile as well. So all over the place. In, in the 1960s and 1970s, he was a teacher in Chile. And this is where like he implemented all of this research that he did on people's personalities and stuff. And he even traveled to Asia just to like observe and like further create his research yeah you need different samples yeah and so he's the, he actually created this school in chile just to like use this teaching method of like when did you say he did this 60s and 70s in chile of the 1900s yeah okay. yeah so not that long ago yeah yeah okay and um he described the enneagram as attempting to attain self-realization and uh he actually passed away in the u.s in 2020 Hmm. Um, the symbol for the Enneagram actually goes all the way back to Pythagoras. Which, yeah. <laughs> this is why I was laughing when I was looking at your notes. <laughs> because of James Acaster's bit. You know, Pythagoras's uh, catchphrase. <laughs> Every triangle is a love triangle when you love triangles. Anyways. Not a real quote, but... <laughs> in case you're unsure. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. it didn't say he invented the symbol, but at least like that's as far back as they could trace it. it was it was part of his research? Yeah. Case. So well, so the enneagram is is known to have lots of triad symbolization. So triads and triangles. Mm -hmm. I can understand how those would be tied together. But yeah, that's all I had, I guess, for the history stuff. I will say for the fact that it was, I mean, that this person who, according to the Enneagram Institute, is credited with creating this in the 1960s like so i have a degree in psychology and so i took several personality courses and like other things like that the enneagram never really came up um when i was in college which you know that was from i was in college from 2014 to 2017 and so i feel like for that to have been created in the 1960s i would have expected it to be in my coursework but it seems like it's really grown in popularity just yeah. in the past five years but like of course like people are much more familiar with things like the myers-briggs which are things that we talked about um or even like carl Jung's like archetypes and things like that um that people might be familiar with <clears throat> but the enneagram never came up i didn't even know about it until you brought it up to me um i think it was when i was at one of my internships at some point because one of the things we used to do is listen to the relevant podcast and then we would like, that's like a point of conversation for us when we were long distance. Mm -hmm. And I remember you bringing up something about, cause they would mention the Enneagram mm -hmm. and you were like, Oh, they keep talking about this. Like I took the test. Like this is, you know, you should take the test too. Um, and so for, even for me, I didn't really find out about it until probably four years ago. Um, which I guess the same time you found out about it. So yeah. 
I think it's also interesting that it's like very much not an American thing. I feel like as Americans, we forget that the world doesn't revolve around us. Yes. And you know. First world problems. Yeah. And, and I will say another disclaimer that I have heard whispers and just weird notes about how the Enneagram is tied into some sort of cult and other weird things. And like, I don't know, people believe weird things about it. We're not part of any cult. Like this is just a helpful tool that we have found um, to be able to understand different people, empathize with each other and different things like that. I think so. that was more of a joke, but I don't know. I don't think it's a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> there are some people who really think that. I mean, it's there's a lot of basis in like spirituality mm -hmm. that this person observed. And it's not necessarily even like one religion. Like he did take a lot of influences from like all sorts of different religions which is interesting well maybe that's where the criticism comes from is it is the enneagram seems to be growing rapidly in popularity in christian circles and some christians i think are probably saying oh the, this enneagram stems from other spiritual sources like that seems to not yeah. be a good idea and like just because we find the enneagram helpful does not mean that we subscribe to whatever spiritual origins they come from mm -hmm. so i don't that's just like a little caveat but did you want to give a brief overview of uh the nine different types of the enneagram or or what the enneagram is to begin with let's talk about like how it's helped us like hmm. first okay yeah sure i guess for me the biggest thing is it helps gives me give me words for how i feel mm-hmm somebody who was as somebody who was told that i don't understand the difference between thoughts and feelings it's very helpful reading stuff like this and helping me understand like myself you know like it's so weird that like i don't understand why i feel the way i do and like this can help give me words it can also help you understand tendencies and pitfalls healthy tendencies unhealthy tendencies stuff that like your type is prone to you know um, as well as understanding relationships between the different types can be really helpful. How you interact with maybe a friend or your partner and their type, as well as empathy for the other types, understanding why somebody else feels the way they do, why they, the actions they choose, because for me at least, empathy is something that's very hard for me. I don't understand how other people function. I only understand how I function. I, I barely even understand how I function. So relating to somebody else and why they do what they do is hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think going off of that, for me specifically, I feel like for the longest time, um, I just kind of saw everything in like a black and white means of personality where like, I've always been a much more emotional person and there are a lot of people around me who are not very emotional or seem to, um, growing up, it just seemed to be a trait that was very frowned upon. Like, uh, you're overreacting, you're being over emotional, you're being too sensitive, et cetera, et cetera. And so in my world, it was just, you're either emotional like me or you're not. Um, and of course that's not true. Like every human is complex and unique, but the way that the Enneagram lays things out, one, it does give helpful language and vi and like visuals um with you know nine different types each different type has wings like all these different ways to kind of formulate this unique person um 
but it also helped me to feel not alone because when I took that test and um, I think like some people, when you take the test, you don't, you're not always what you test highest as you kind of have to investigate a little further. For me, I feel like it was just so cut and dry. Like this is what you are. And the more I really dove into my Enneagram type, I like felt so seen and understood that I, it felt like if someone could write this description of me, that means that I am not the only one out there like this. Like someone else has these same struggles, same passions, um, same, you know, pitfalls and gifts and everything else. So it helped me to not feel alone. Um, but then it also um, helps to understand others as well, kind of like you said. Well, because um, rather than seeing it in a way of either you're emotional like me or you're not, it's being emotional like me is just one of the many ways that people experience life. And so um, it's really cool actually to look at all the different types and their different motivations and fears and and really help you see that every single person has their own lens that they're experiencing the world through. So I think that's been really cool. Yeah, and another note, I think motivation is an interesting word for me because I think it's interesting to observe the different end, like the similar, some, some numbers have very similar end results in like the actions, but then they have different motivations to get to those actions mm -hmm. is also very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that is, I think that's why really the test helps you kind of narrow it down to the top two or three things that you might identify with mm -hmm. and then diving into those on a deeper level because what you read at first on the surface is not necessarily like, even if you might relate to it, it might not necessarily be who you are based off of what is motivating you to do those things or be that way. And so I think a lot of people, for example, as a type two, um, you know, I hear a lot of people say, Oh, you're to someone else. You're very helpful. You're probably a type two, but I think everyone, you know, there are a lot of people that want to be helpful and help in their own ways, but it's it's what's motivating those outward actions that is really what determines mm -hmm. where you fall on these nine different types. So d dive into the individual types themselves now. Okay, so um, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, there are nine total types that you could potentially identify with. Um, and so it's very hard to... Uh, use words to portray the symbol that the Enneagram uses to connect all of them together. Um, so we'll put some links in the show notes to the Enneagram Institute for if you want to dive into more information. I've also heard good things about various Enneagram books, but I have not read any of those myself. I would like to eventually, but we can dive into the nine types going one at a time. So the first one Type one is known as the reformer. Now I will say that the titles associated with each type have sometimes been criticized as being an overgeneralization of the type. So don't let that determine if you don't right away identify with that title, don't let that like stop you from diving deeper into them. So type one, the reformer, they are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. 
Now, another side note, I am not uh, an expert enough in the Enneagram to come up with these descriptions myself. These are all verbatim from the Enneagram Institute. Now, when we are talking about the nine different types, they are broken up into triads. So if you remember, Jesse was speaking about Pythagoras, triangles, triads. So um, as they're broken up into th the nine types are divided into three separate triads and they are split up based off of um, kind of where their motivations come from. So there is an instinctive center triad which follows their instincts. There is a feeling center triad, which follows their feelings and emotions. And then there is a thinking center triad, which follows more of their thoughts and logical um, conclusions. So the type one is part of the instinctive center. So they follow their instincts. Now, as we learn about the other various Enneagram types, it, it's, just because you identify with one type does not mean that anything else in the other eight types will not apply to you. You kind of can take tidbits and pieces. Obviously, you are a unique and complex person. Um, the motivation is what determines your type. But then, based on where you are personally, whether you feel like you are healthy and in tune with yourself, you may take on attributes from another type in your triad um, or if you are not so healthy you're going through some stress in life or you're just really not connected with um, who you are you can take on unhealthy attributes of another type in the triad of what your type goes to so type ones move towards type sevens in growth also known as integration and they move towards type fours in stress, also known as disintegration. So I don't know, I don't know how helpful all that is right now because you don't necessarily know what all the types are. But so let me repeat: the ones are the reformer. They are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. Okay. Um, and I have it broken down into like four different things each types virtue passion idea and fixation and these are like basically the the different motivations for each type for a type one the virtue is serenity the passion is anger the idea is perfection and the fixation is resentment interesting all right so type twos are known as the helper. They are friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing, but can also be sentimental, flattering, and people-pleasing. Type twos fall in the feeling center. Um, they move to fours in growth, and they move to eights in stress. And uh, the, for the type two, their virtue is humanity, their passion is pride, their idea is freedom and will, and their fixation is flattery. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. <clears throat> Type threes are known as the achiever. Threes are self-assured, attractive, and charming. Ambitious, competent, and energetic, they can also be status conscious and highly driven for advancement. 
So threes also fall within the feeling center. They move to six in growth and towards nine in stress. And their virtue is truthfulness. Their passion is deceit. Their idea is law or hope. And their fixation is vanity. Hmm. So fixation is what they struggle with. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Type fours are known as the individualist. Fours are self-aware, sensitive, and reserved. They're emotionally honest, creative, and personal, but can also be moody and self-conscious. They are also in the feeling center, so that completes the feeling center triad of two, three, and four. They move to ones in growth, and they move to two in stress. And their virtue is equanimity, which I think is just like calmness. Mm. Uh, the passion is envy. The idea is origin. I don't know if quite where that what that means. I, I think guess. they want to they want to be unique original. and have yeah, original. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And their fixation is melancholy. Hmm. Well, it does say that they can be moody. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. The fives are known as the investigator. They are able to concentrate and focus on developing complex ideas and skills. Independent, innovative, and inventive, they can also become preoccupied with their thoughts and imaginary constructs. So fives are part of the thinking center. They move to eight in growth and to seven in stress. And their virtue is non-attachment. Their passion is avarice. I already forget what that was. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know, we looked it up because we didn't know the word and I forget what it means. Anyways, their idea is omniscience, which is interesting. Mm. And their fixation is stinginess. Hmm. Are you going to look up avarice? Yeah. <laughs> Jesse always has to Google everything to remember what it means. That's okay. Sometimes there are big words and it's more important to understand what you're reading than to just pretend that you know everything. Oh, it's uh, extreme greed. Greed, avarice. Yeah. Okay, it's greed. And that was their... Passion. Passion. Interesting. So the passions are mostly the seven deadly sins, and then hmm. there was, you know, nine, so... <laughs> so they just the threw in extra. a couple extra. Okay. Great. Um, type six is known as the loyalist. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, responsible, and trustworthy. Excellent troubleshooters, they foresee problems and foster cooperation, but can also become defensive, evasive, and anxious, running on stress while complaining about it. So sixes also fall within the thinking center. They move to nine in growth and to three in stress. And their virtue is courage. Their passion is fear. Their idea is faith. And their fixation is cowardice. You know, it's interesting that they keep, that, that they use passion as the word to refer to of, like... The negative. The negative part. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> okay, type seven is known as the enthusiast. Sevens are extroverted, optimistic, versatile, and spontaneous. Playful, high-spirited, and practical, they can also misapply their many talents, becoming overextended, scattered, and undisciplined. They complete the triad in the thinking center, so five, sixes, and sevens are those in the thinking center. Sevens move to five in growth and to one in stress. And their virtue is sobriety, their passion is gluttony, their idea is wisdom, 
and planning, or it's just, yeah, planning, and their fixation is planning. Hmm. Interesting. Type 8 is known as the challenger. 8s are self-confident, strong, and assertive. 8s feel they must control their environment, especially people, sometimes becoming confrontational and intimidating. 8s are part of the instinctive center. They move to 2 in growth and to 5 in stress. And their virtue is innocence, their passion is lust, their idea is truth, and their fixation is vengeance. Ooh. <laughs> Lastly, type 9 is known as the peacemaker. Nines are accepting, trusting, and stable. They are usually creative, optimistic, and supportive, but can also be too willing to go along with others to keep the peace. So nines are also in the instinctive center, which completes the instinctive triad of um, eight, nine, and one. They move to three in growth and to six in stress. And their virtue is action, their passion is sloth, their idea is love, and their fixation is indolence, which hmm. we also looked up and... Wasn't that like a lack of activity or... Yeah. Um... Kind of the same thing as sloth. Like, yeah, very similar to yeah. that. Yeah. So all of that it sounds very confusing right off the bat. Um, but the more you learn about it, the more you dive into it, it really does make sense. So if we're giving me and Jesse as examples, I identify as a type two. So as a type two, um, the helper... If I am healthy and in tune with myself and really um, kind of just, I don't, I don't know what the right phrasing is, but um, where I'm acknowledging my emotions and really just uh, accepting myself for who I am, I take on healthy attributes of a four, which is known as the individualist. Now, if I'm unhealthy, um, two, as a two, I can be manipulative because two's core motivation is to be loved. So that is my biggest desire in life is to be loved. And if I am unhealthy, that can come out in harmful ways where I can overextend myself to earn that love or manipulate people to feel loved, even if it's not genuine love. So as an unhealthy two, I could take on unhealthy traits of a type eight, which is known as the challenger. So that's just a way that all the different types play into each other. So of course you wanna start learning about your type and where you identify, but once you kind of feel like you have a good handle on that, you can start learning about um, either the types that you move to in stress or in growth, or alternatively, Whichever type you identify with, there are also what they call wings. So your wings are whichever type are on either side of you in chronological order. So as a two, I have a one wing and a three wing. Jesse, as a six, has a five wing and a seven wing. So for me, um, I strongly identify with several attributes of the one that I have my one wing. I also identify with quite a few of my three wings, so um, they, that could be more balanced than some people, but I typically identify as a two wing one. So if you hear people mention the term wing, 
that's just where it come from. Your wing can only be those two types on either side of your number. It can't, if I'm a two, I can't have a wing nine mm -hmm. or a wing seven or anything. So um, those are all kind of the confusing number bits. Now, something I did want to mention is that as we went through this list and talked about the different types that were in the instinctive center, the feeling center, or the thinking center, something that I found really interesting was that an identifying part of those three centers is the emotion or, yeah, I guess just the emotion that they struggle with if they are disconnected with the core of themselves. So the instinctive center will battle with anger or rage if they are disconnected from the core of themselves. So that is type eight, nine, and one. The feeling center, two, three, and four, will battle with shame if that is, um, you know, if they're not connected with the core of themselves. And then the thinking center, type five, six, and seven, will battle with fear. And so I think that's just very interesting. Um, as I was reading through this, there's a specific page on the Enneagram Institute that talks about these three centers and it breaks down how each type copes with these emotions. Um, and so even as a two, you know, the shame that comes, twos are typically characterized as the people who focus more on the needs of others than the needs of themselves. Um, and there can be shame and guilt associated with acknowledging a two's own needs or asking for help or things like that. Um, but I, I forget exactly what they said, but whatever that little blurb was about how the twos cope with stress, I was like, ooh, or cope with shame. I was like, ooh, that is very accurate. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I hope all that makes a little bit of sense. It's like kind of like drinking from a fire hose when you first try to learn about the Enneagram, but uh, as you stick with it, it actually is a, a very helpful tool. So, yeah, I feel like it's it's a summary of like, like somebody who was a therapist their entire career and like basically summarized like this is about like the average things because it, it is not it's not just a personality test like some are and it's like a lot of those are very positive and only positive it's like but I think the helpful part is the negative is like when you're stressed and like how you interact with the other numbers like a lot of that stuff is very helpful information and it's like it's like it therapy aid or like you know if, if you don't you've never done therapy like reading stuff like that is kind of like some of the stuff you would talk about maybe or you know yeah and that that has definitely been one of the most helpful parts for me is I think it even as as someone myself who is extremely self-critical it's hard to pinpoint what it is that I don't like or what it is that's causing these behaviors that I don't like. And so the Enneagram actually really helped me to, to recognize, okay, this is an unhealthy behavior and this is why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. So like once you get to the core root of why something is happening, then you can really address it and fix it. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of like you want to get to the root cause. You don't want to just calm the symptoms. You want to really like get to the bottom of it. And so that has been really helpful. 
for me. And so I think even for you, you originally mistyped. Um, when you took the test, I think you, the, was the nine what you mm-hmm. got the highest percentage as? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. That's at least what I thought I was. Yeah, so for the longest time, Jesse thought he was a nine. Now, asterisk, caveat, you are not supposed to type other people for them because only that person knows their true motivation, desire, and fear in life. But as I read more about the Enneagram and saw various things, I told Jesse, I said, you know, all these things that I'm seeing, it really seems like you resonate more with a type six. And I feel like as husband and wife, we have a closer view of each other than many other people do in other types of relationships. Um, But then as you dove into it, you're like, oh, you're right. I think I am a type six. However, type sixes take on attributes of type nines when they're healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was one of the things that was a little confusing that you identified so strongly with a lot of things from the nine. But ultimately when it came down to the core of that type, you ended up deciding that six is what resonated with you. Yeah. And sixes can be very situational, which I think is the confusing part. Is like I have a hard time defining myself as like an optimist or a pessimist or you know like all like a lot of that stuff it's like I'm both depends yeah. on the situation like yeah and you know obviously everybody's gonna be a little situational but I feel like as a six like we're very situational mm-hmm. in our emotions and feelings and yeah which was I resonated with that as well yeah yeah and I think um just the more we've been able to put language to those parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. we're kind of able to talk about it more and understand each other more and as I said it just helps you see both sides of the spectrum where there are so many people that are different than you and and everyone is so complex and on the same token there are so many people that are just like you Mm -hmm. not to say that you're not special or unique but you're not the only one who struggles with these things. You're not alone. Um, it's not because you're crazy. It's not because there's something wrong with you. Right. Yeah. And I think and I think that that's another good point is that when you read through the negative aspects of your type, um, it's it's easy. Before the Enneagram, it was easy for me to look at something and say, this must mean I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. I struggle with this. I do this. And like, wow, I, I'm a terrible person. And as you kind of dive into that, whether that's through the Enneagram or therapy or any other means, where you really get to the root cause of some of those unhealthy things, you realize, okay, it, I'm not a bad person. Like, this is just how I've learned to cope with things. Or this is how um, this comes out when I'm in this situation. And so the, it's really a good tool of self-awareness. And I think that's what you said is the guy who created it it was supposed to be a tool of self-realization and yeah. like exploring yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but because all of the types are connected, it's a great relational tool as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and for me, it it helps me, it helps give me a more unbiased view of my how I'm feeling, how I'm doing, because my tendency is to really downplay a lot of negative things, like even you know physical emotional like injuries 
you know, anything like that. Like, oh, I'm fine. Like, I, I'm so afraid of overreacting that I will underreact by a million miles. And it gives me a nice tool to be like, okay, like, I, I am doing pretty poorly mentally or, you know, you know, you can read about like the health and I can, it gives me an unbiased view of where I'm at. Yeah. On the Enneagram Institute for each, obviously there's nine types, but then for each type, it shows you like nine different levels with like the bottom being the least healthy version of yourself and then the top being like the most healthy version mm -hmm. of yourself. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a good tool just to evaluate yourself and where you're at and looking at that language on a page and looking at it as a type and not just someone's personal attack on you or yeah, personal criticism of you just helps give you an objective perspective that's like, oh, okay. And the fact that it's public knowledge and it's written out there, you don't have to feel bad about, like, if you're in one of those unhealthy, like, levels, it's okay, you know? Like, you can do things to improve and, like, overcome these various obstacles, but you're also not the only one that has ever been there. Like, mm -hmm. it's okay. We all struggle. And I think I would wager that 90% of us, if not more, are way unhealthy in emotional and mental health than we care to admit. So. And, like, a little off topic, I guess, but we were watching the that Adam Project movie. Yeah. And he talked about, like, telling the the mother of the the child who was dealing with stuff i no spoilers but uh <laughs> basically he, he told the mom like it's okay to show your kids that you're struggling yeah like you don't have to hide that you're struggling to everybody you know obviously you know you don't you probably don't want to struggle in public i guess not that that's not okay but that's probably not what every person wants but like it's okay to struggle around the people that love you yeah and like pretending that you're okay and you're doing okay can sometimes be hurtful to those people even because maybe something happened and you're pretending like you're good and you got it all together and then like they're seeing that you have it all together and they're like I don't have it all together so now they feel bad about themselves like like it's okay to struggle around the people you love yeah and I mean we're all human we mm -hmm. all struggle and it also just depends on you know there are so many ebbs and flows of life and so many seasons that you go through that just like everything else, the Enneagram is not just going to be a ladder that you climb and eventually you get to the top as your most healthy self. And it's like you get a gold medal and you just like, this is it, I've, I've arrived. Like, no, depending on your situations, you will be healthy sometimes and unhealthy sometimes. And so just being able to recognize what that looks like for you and even for your loved ones to be able to recognize what that looks like for you because... Mm -hmm. Maybe there might be points where I don't want to acknowledge that I'm not healthy right now, but Jesse can see based on my behavior that like, okay, like we need to really, you know, change something or fix something um, because we don't, we don't ever want our loved ones to be unhealthy, you know, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, like we just, we want the best for, for people. And mm -hmm. so it has been very helpful. Um, but just give yourself grace and be patient. It takes a little bit of time to wrap your head around. Take it in small doses. <laughs> um, don't like, 
you know, overwhelm yourself. Because unless you're the type of person who loves to do all that kind of research. And if that's the case, then dive right in. But every person is unique. And I think it's one of my missions in life has become just to help people embrace their authenticity. Like, stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop wishing you were somebody else. Like, just look in the mirror and realize how unique and beautiful you are as a person and embrace that. Just accept yourself and love yourself and leverage those parts of you that you love that can really, you know, help other people and do good in this world and work on improving the parts that aren't so good and and might, you know, be harmful or unhealthy. Um, But just authentically be yourself. And I think, like, this this tool has really helped me to accept parts of myself be like okay it's okay like this is part of who I am and again it doesn't mean that every single sentence on the Enneagram Institute about your type will apply to you it is a, a broad overview but as you dive into that and figure out you know what level you are in being healthy being unhealthy you know, what attributes you're taking from other types. Yeah, it's just just good. Sorry, that was a little, a little bit of word vomit, but... It's also a fun game to play when we're uh, watching, like, TV shows or movies to, like, start Googling <laughs> what their numbers would be. And, of course, for most popular stuff, it exists pretty... It's easy to find. But there is still a lot of controversy because with, with right. TV show characters and movie characters, you know it's kind of hard to know what their actual motivation right. is behind those outward behaviors that you see. But at the so. same time, it is a little easier because most characters are hyper-realizations of people. I don't yeah. know how to word that, but like... Yeah. Not that, depending on the show, you know, not all characters are written very deeply and complex That's people. True. That's They're true. They're stereotypes of yeah. personalities. Yeah. But, so, what's next? Well, we will definitely link various pages of the Enneagram Institute, and we'll link a few episodes ago, we had linked a free test that you can take. I think the Enneagram Institute charges you like $12 or something. Are they, is that the official test? I don't actually even know. I don't remember. Or they at least have a link to it on their website or something. Um, you can do the paid version. That will give you a lot more resources and like materials to dive into. Um what we did is we just did the free version and then we took our higher matches and just referred back to the Enneagram Institute to look at each type and which one we identified with. So we will link that in the show notes. Um, There are lots of Enneagram books out there, like I said, but I cannot personally recommend any of them as I have not read them. I have a long stack of books that I'm trying to get through and eventually I would like to get to some of those. Um, but we're all we're all just still figuring this out too, so it can just be a fun thing that we can all do together. Um, but I would just encourage you guys to not put yourself in a box. Like don't don't let people be like, oh, you're an Enneagram too, but like that's all you are. It's like, no, like you are a unique complex person. And that's just a little little soapbox moment. So um and then there's also um, a musical artist, uh, his name is Ryan, but he go, his musical name is Sleeping at Last. So you can find him on Spotify. He did 
an entire album of nine different songs where he wrote a song for each of the Enneagram types. Um, the songs themselves are great, and I would recommend you go listen to one of whichever type that you identify with. But beyond that, he also has a podcast, The Sleeping At Last Podcast. And honestly, listening to his episodes where he explains why he wrote the song that way for that type. Like, he he really dives into what components went into it, what it means, why he feels like it resonates with that type. And that was extra helpful to me in understanding the song a little bit better. And then the song just kind of had, like, exponentially more, like, an exponential amount of... A lot more meaning <laughs> after after I was able to really understand, like, where those different elements come from and how they tie into that Enneagram type. So definitely go check out that podcast and his album, which we can link both of those as well. Did you have anything to recommend? No, I think that was pretty much it. Did I steal your thunder? No. No. Okay. Cool. Well, I guess that's it then. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, you can check out the show notes for all the details of stuff we talked about, as well as our social media. And just remember that you're not alone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.